Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Real Science Podcast, the podcast where three highly qualified, intelligent, good-looking professionals pick a movie and then pick apart the science. My name is Ken Smith, uh, Mr. Giggles. My name is Sean Crossan. Yeah. I'm Michael Pace. Sean, what do we do on this podcast now that we finally started recording? <clears throat> well, Kenan, what we do is we watch a movie that has some sort of science in it. We rate the science, talk about the feasibility, and then we critique the movie and the science in it. Ratings. Yes, that we give it a rating. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Great. That is true. Uh, it's important to note that we are training to be professional scientists. And because of that, uh, we are going to overly scrutinize every film that we watch for this podcast. So a little of the commentary might seem a little uh, a little excessive, but we are training with a very critical eye. So we're going to use that. Um, it's also worth noting that there might be some minor cursing um, because we get frustrated at times. So hide your kids hide your unless oh, your kids <laughs> really can hang. It's also worth noting that Today, we watched a movie that might be considered a little bit out of our normal bounds of expertise. Yup. Yes. Um, we're mostly trained in the life sciences, uh, anything in the realms of basic biology. Uh, this film goes a little beyond that. So, hey, I'm, I'm, I know some physics. Yes. Oh, sorry. Yes, but uh, we actually brought in a local uh, resident expert. Oh, hello. Kenan Smith. He's oh, uh, I'm just me now. Okay. Yeah, no, it was just you. You said you <laughs> oh, know physics. I told. That lasted a long time. <laughs> No, so you're, we're going to rely on Kenan, because right. he's a physics expert. I'm not an astrophysicist. Kenan, you said you're a physics expert. Okay, I'm a physics Astrophysicist. Physics. Physics. Yeah. Astrophysics is under the umbrella of physics. All right, I know everything about physics. That all Good. being said, don't take what we say as law in regards to the mathematical and physical science of this film. What film is that, Sean? Well, Kenan, we watched The Martian. Uh, it was pretty popular, so listeners may be familiar with it, but it came out in 2015, and it's starring Matt Damon. Um, Matt Damon, along with his other crew, are on a mission to Mars, and they have to leave. There's an emergency, there's a storm, and they have to leave the planet. Right. And basically, Matt Damon gets left behind. And the whole movie is about him trying to survive on the planet under harsh conditions and creating food for himself, and then eventually trying to get home. So we watch Left Behind. We watched Castaway. <laughs> you know, and I, there are a lot of parallels to draw between The Martian and Castaway. Starring there are Billy Crystal. There, you just—that's not true. So, is Kenan's thing on the podcast is he just makes stuff up the entire time? The, Kristen Wiig was also in this movie. Yeah, um, but no one really gives a single shit about Kristen Wiig. Whoa, so. Jesus so, Christ! I know Pace. fans of the podcast want to know that Pace uh, hates people. <laughs> I, we we found out Tim Tebow's one of them. One of them. We already knew that. Now he doesn't like Kristen Wiig for some reason. I honestly never Do realized. Do you know why? So, Two lines. So you're typecasting her as mm -hmm. the like funny bridesmaid. Mm -hmm. That is what she's known for. And that is her breakout role. But when we started this podcast, I did not realize how polarized Pace's opinions, that's very alliteration heavy, were going to be. Polarizing Pace. Polarized Pace opinions on different actors and actresses. Like, can you stop hating people? Then people should stop being... Hateable, hateable, he's still doing it, and he's doing still stuff won't stop. to charge my hatred. So paces are bad. Boy. So I have a question for you, Kenan. Okay, How okay. do we get back into the podcast? Uh, should we pause and then like is someone going to say something? I mean, I can cut this into something usable, probably. Sure, but we should. I can pause. talk about the science in the film. I forgot what we were talking about. We're no, saying... Pace. Why don't you talk about Kristen Wiig? <laughs> 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 On the podcast today, we're going to cover uh, a range of scientific issues that are covered in The Martian. 
The first being the various environmental effects that a human being being on Mars for, gosh, how many days was it? About 600 days, approximately. 561 Martian days. 561 Martian days. What effects that would have on the human body? Uh, we're going to talk about the uh, various aspects of pa- space travel. I almost said pace travel. Um, <laughs> and how they're carried out in the film. Uh, we'll talk about Matt Damon growing his own food. Um, <clears throat> Matt. Absolutely. Um, he is a botanist. He is he is a botanist. Um, and then we're also going to cover uh, some just some various kind of what you could probably probably even call gripes and groans. But for this film, I would say there were a few. So let's jump into it. Yeah, and I guess it should also be noted because we just googled it that a single day on Mars, for the listeners' information, is one day and forty minutes on Earth. Okay, so they're roughly the same. Right, yeah. very, very close. That adds up over time, though. Yeah, over like a year. It's over it sure would. Yeah. All right, so I guess we'll just start chronologically like we normally do. Yeah, we can do that. Want me well, to dive in? Sure. First. Why don't you... I talked for almost all of Day After Tomorrow, so why don't you and Pace talk a little bit? I first? talk a lot normally. Too. Pace, do you want to take, kick it off? Or sure, you want, absolutely. All right, all right Pace. So take, let's just it. talk about what normally happens in these films that we watch. Okay. You know, these scientifically-based films, you started out... Everything seems to be going peachy, uh-huh. right? Uh, uh-huh. There's some sort of excavation, some sort of journey, and then something goes wrong. In this case, it's a gigantic dust storm that occurs on Mars. I think there are a couple things worth pointing out in regards to this dust storm. One, wouldn't have happened. Oh. So let's quit the podcast now, because we're done, right? Okay. Um, okay. okay. So it it's wouldn't have happened, and this is Cheer. mostly because of the low atmospheric pressure and how just thin Mars' atmosphere right, is. When you just real quick, when you say this wouldn't have happened, do you mean on the level of how it occurred in the movie? What I mean is that it would not have happened. It would not have had the same impacts. There are storms that happen on Mars, uh, and even they, you know, the they even reach relatively high uh, wind speeds, mm-hmm. such as 100, 150 miles per hour. Right. But this is going to feel like a lot less because of how thin the atmosphere is. This is, right. you, have a, you have a 100 mile per hour wind on Mars, is going to feel like 10 miles per hour, as you would feel on Earth because of how thick the atmosphere is. So for reference, uh, the average wind speed, according to NASA, on the surface of Mars is about 60 miles per hour, uh, which is less than half the speed of hurricane force winds on Earth, which is in- indicative of what we witnessed within the movie, right? large enough wind speeds to pick up objects and throw them around. Even though this sounds like a very, very high wind speed, comparatively, because Mars' atmos- Mars atmosphere is less dense, like you mentioned, Pace, 1% as des- dense as Earth's atmosphere, it's typically only enough to pick up dust particles and not even pebbles. Right. The question, I guess, if it's picking up enough dust particles, then, like, it's moving these dust particles relatively fast still, right? Yeah, but, but the relative force of each dust particle is still going to be diminished because of the reduced gravity. So. I think also, I obviously don't know enough about the surface of Mars. At least from reading, it's implied that this is very, very fine dust that is picked up and moved by these winds. Like, that's o- the only thing that's capable like sand, to be moved. Basically. Exactly. But, and and but finer, smaller, like silt. Yeah, yeah okay. dry silt. silt. Um, but it's enough to the point where it's still able to block out the sun and, and things like that. Right. You get all that crap accumulating on the surface of solar panels, so that needs to be cleaned off. I think the other reason that you get actual electrical buildup in these dust storms on Mars, which is why you know you can get 
electrical effects, like maybe lightning, yes, um, is because they're very, very, very fine. Yeah. Does that make sense? Right. So there's a lot of static. I think I think it's also worth mentioning that uh, in an interview with uh, Andy Ware, I believe how you pronounce his last name, the author of the book. Oh um, yeah. Okay. And he he also just you know despite the endless calculations that he did to ensure the accuracy of this film, he openly admits that this bizarre Mars storm would not have happened. It's just a, a driving plot point of the book. The book. Right. So it's wrong, but it's something that was almost intentionally wrong. Right. For the yeah, sake I mean, of the like, story. Yeah, you're going to need some things to progress the plot. Like, if everything worked out great, then there, you wouldn't have a movie. So. Uh, without it, it would just be a documentary on the Discovery Channel. Yeah. Yes. So just to set the stage for this scene, basically they're all of the uh, astronauts, Matt Damon, Jessica... Chastain? Chastain. Is that what it is? Chastain, Michael Pena, uh, Kate Mara, and Sebastian Stan are all on Mars. They're doing some sort of project where they're collecting samples, and they have a temporary housing unit called the Hab Hab Hab. set up, which I don't know what that stands for, but Habitable Uh, Aquarian... Okay. Bus. Boathouse. For those of you who can't see Ken in space, he always looks really confident when he starts talking about something, so I expect him to say the real thing, and then he just starts making up words. But they have have a temporary uh, environment set up, and they have their, basically their, what, shuttle? Or whatever? Their device to launch them back up to their orbiting spaceship when they need to leave. And so the movie starts out, they're doing some project, and then this storm that Pace referenced just starts sweeping in. Hab is half the word habitat. That's why it's called that. (laughs) You should have just stopped after habitat. I googled it. We're not allowed to get our PhDs. (laughs) We're not smart enough to figure that out. So, all right. So, so yeah. So, basically, they're collecting uh, samples. The storm starts rolling in, and then they're faced with a decision, you know. Do we stay? Do we we stay? Do I stay or do I go? Or do we leave? Right. Right. According to protocol, they should leave because um, I forgot for the, the the specs that they go off this by. It's, right. Um, they mentioned the measured Newtonian force of the winds that were right. rolling in, and it was like eleven hundred more than it should have been. Right. So. They rattled off some specifications as to whether or not the MAB, which is the vehicle they need to use to leave uh, uh, gravitational pull of Mars, would be tipped over at a certain amount of force from those winds. Right. So. And so, okay, and what you said about the storm is, like, you know, how intense is the storm actually going to be? Right, I mean, they don't, I don't think they give a a strict miles per hour estimate as to how strong this storm was, but... I looked for a little bit of information on how to do, just because it was the beginning of the movie and I figured I could kill time, but how to do some sort of conversion of the force measurements they gave to try and translate that to actual wind speed. And there's a way to do it. I just didn't whip out a paper and pencil and copy down all the formula. I I think the way in which to to reflect on this is that this is the driving factor for why Matt Damon gets trapped on Mars, because this this satellite gets uh, detached from its current location and, and impales him on the ground. They've decided they need to evacuate. They're going to the, what did you say, the MAB? Is that the uh, rocket? The MAB, I think the is MAB. what they referred to. So it, they're yeah. going to their little little mini rocket to go into orbit. Um, a satellite dish falls off the HAB and flies into Matt Damon, and they lose him. They get a warning that his suit is decompressed, so they think that he's just losing oxygen. Right. They actually, he's going to die. They actually lose 
connection with his bio monitor, oh, which okay. is mentioned later. So like they don't even have a signal for yeah. Matt Damon as a person anymore. So yeah. they, they don't know what's going on. They're trying to find him. They can't find him before they need to leave, and they leave at the very last possible minute, and Matt Damon gets left behind. Basically, in the next scene, you know, Matt Damon wakes up. He lo- What's his name? Mark. Mark Watney. Mark Watney. So yeah. he looks around. He realizes he's on Mars. They've left. He's been impaled with a piece of the satellite dish, and it broke through his suit. But somehow the mm-hmm. seal was able to be uh, fixed by, he said, I think he said that the antenna and blood from the wound, like, stopped all the air from leaking out of his suit, basically. Right, it, it's, yes. It sealed the hole. Yes. Um, Matt Damon goes back to the hab, and he pulls out the shard and basically just patches himself up, which has got to be pretty He staples himself yeah, together. Yeah, he staples himself together. Yeah, you see him pull a syringe out, which is presumably local anesthetic. He punches it into his skin several times, grabs a pair of pliers, open his, opens his stomach, pulls out another piece of metal, checks it on the antenna to make sure that it's the missing piece, and then staples his body back together. Yeah. It's kind of badass. It is pretty rad to yeah. watch. Yeah. It's pretty good. I mean, like, it... it I couldn't do that. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't think most people could. Yeah. It would be pretty rough. Um, but I think a theme throughout the entire movie is Matt Damon does not want to die. Yeah. So he really does his best to not die. Yeah, to avoid such a fate. The mental stamina of Matt Damon in this film has to be admired. Uh, is I mean, this is this would be psycholog- psychologically devastating yeah, to be Matt gonna, Damon in this instance. You're going to get into that at some point, right? We'll I'll get a little bit into it. Effect. Given with the kind of theme of just going through the film here, I think after they realize that Matt Damon's missing, they have to plan their their rescue, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and I think that it's in this moment <laughs> we realize if we weren't familiar with before watching the movie that planning missions to Mars is hella complicated. Yep. Uh, it takes about eight months to get to Mars from Earth, and that's if the planets are in the most favorable position to where they're in line, mm-hmm. uh, where you can go straight from one planet to the next based on the orbits around the sun. Um, and we just, we realize how complicated it is to, to plan, uh, to plan a rescue mission. Um, and they, I think from, from what we can tell, the way in which they plan this is, is, is accurate. The, the, the timetables of which they're basing this on, this is all real. Uh, and this is something that, uh, NASA has also acknowledged. Uh, in fact, Na- NASA and the makers of the film were, are, were in a high level of contact rather than making a film, and they and they they praise the film. Uh, they actually use it as a mar- marketing tool for their own Mars missions. And this is just one of those details that for the reasons in which they do this. Yeah, the writer uh, did a fantastic job actually trying to keep as many things as possible scientifically accurate, which is pretty impressive because I, I... Well, we'll get to the ratings at the end, but I thought the movie was very good. So. Yeah. There were several times that I were was looking through articles to sort of get questions answered for each of the individual things that were within the movie, uh, and they mentioned the book on several occasions that you can go back and take some of the calculations that are made within the books, repeat them, and they are all entirely accurate from to, you know, down from like basic thermodynamics to even more complicated things, so... Matt Damon's on Mars, and that is the rest of the movie. Right. So he is trying to, he has a, an early phase where he's trying to, you know, get water and food. Yep. And then a later phase where he's working on communicating with NASA and trying to get back home. And the earlier phase consists almost entirely of him trying to extend the amount of food that he has for his entire stay while on Mars. Right. And that's where a little bit of science comes into play, because he realizes, oh, I have potatoes, and I'm a botanist. Um, and Mars is best. 
botanist. Oh, damn it. Hold on. <laughs> the best botanist on Mars. Mars is Mars. best botanist. Mars. Yeah. Mars is best. That's botanist. a little tongue twister there. Mars is huh, best is botanist. We got it. Uh, Nailed it. So we get a shot of Matty D going through a couple of quick calculations on what he has available. He realizes that he has a uh, at least initial supply of dumps that he can use in order to help grow his potatoes. Sorry, dumps? You mean human feces. Human feces. Oh, human feces. Dukes. Okay. Um, because they've been there for a while. They've been accumulating them. They, I guess, freeze-dry package them and they're store in, them in the back of yeah, the they're in like, HAB. Yeah, they're in like little sealed bags. Yep, so he cuts them all open. Uh, he adds a little bit of water, stirs that stuff up, and starts planting some potatoes in some soil he brought into the hab um, on top of a tarp. What do we think, guys? Would this have worked? So, well, yeah, I think it probably could have worked. The thing is also that you brought up when we were watching the movie, Pace, was why were they saving bags of poop? Yeah. Um, and we this is all speculation, but we were thinking, you know, it could just be that you don't want to leave a bunch of, like, experiment on mars yep. even though i don't really think that's a big concern but well we also did a little bit of hand waving on that it would make sense to bring it back for nutritionists people right. who are experts on metabolism to study so that they could see how different the metabolism of a human being is while under the effects of mars's gravity well, which i think is most likely because like yeah. you don't send people to mars all the time so if you're going to study it you need to cram in as much studies as possible as you can yeah exactly so that's most... leave, leave no stone unturned if you're going to send human beings to mars so leave yeah. no poop unturned leave take no... only pictures and leave only poop leave so... nothing <laughs> <laughs> leave no stool unanalyzed okay um but i i i think that the based on what we know about about botany and and what it takes for plants to grow i think i actually think this would have been relatively feasible yeah that he that he grows these potatoes i think all of your all of your your basic elements are there uh to grow a plant um it's been mentioned in a couple of articles that you know you've pulled up sean's pulled up i've pulled up that the base level of nutrients exist in martian soil for you to grow specific crops although the soil is a little bit more acidic than what you know would be necessary for some things i was able to find a paper uh, from 1970 um, that specifically talks about the presence of nitrogen fixing bacteria that can be found in the uh, human intestines uh, and nitrogen fixing bacteria are typically required in order to promote plant growth so he could have isolated some bacteria from there just by virtue of using feces in order to fertilize those plants. Right. So basically using feces with the Martian soil in the hab, so you have a normal oxygen levels and everything, I guess normal environmental air levels, should work on these plants. But the one thing that Matt runs into once he starts planting these potatoes is he's like, I'm going to need a lot of water for yep. these plants. These plants need a lot of water, and I don't have that much water. Um, but the one thing he does has, he does have, is a lot of rocket fuel. <laughs> Damn it, what is with my tongue tonight, guys? <laughs> You're crushing it today, dude. Jeez. One thing he has has. Th I like to call it plot fuel. Plot fuel? Plot fuel. Because Ooh. the thing that he used doesn't exist. I think he refers to it as uh, hydrazine? Hydrazine, yeah. Hydrazine, Which yeah. is supposed to be composed of hydrogen and nitrogen. Nitrogen. He says H2N2, so it's just two hydrogen molecules and two nitrogen well, molecules. Well, that's what he's that's what he says he's able to extract from the fuel somehow, and then he just isolates the hydrogen and then burns it uh, in order to in in correlation with oxygen in order to get the water. He suggests that you I think he said he uses iridium as a catalyst or yeah. something like that. We yeah. see, I don't remember he said something, but we see him 
scoop a couple of silver rocks onto a platter and then slowly drip the hydrazine onto it, releasing hydrogen gas that he is then able to burn at the top of this apparatus that he has constructed. Right, so he's basically separating the hydrogen and the nitrogen into just hydrogen and nitrogen gas, and then burning the hydrogen in order to... Supplying the oxygen. Right, because there's oxygen in the air, but he's like feeding the oxygen in, I guess. I guess so, yeah. Yeah, he's basically just burning hydrogen in an oxygen-rich environment and making water. Which will make water. Right. And, and fire. <laughs> water and fire. Exactly. <laughs> and explosions. Don't, don't forget the uh, the fuel from the crucifix. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah, he used some wood. There's from, like, he used some wood. He, he, he goes through uh, one of his compatriots' personal supplies, finds a crucifix, uh, and cuts it up for fuel, and then looks directly at it and says, I think, I assume you're okay with this based on the circumstances, <laughs> which is pretty funny. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So basically the idea is that once you burn, water will come out, and he's surrounded the entire room with tarps. Yep, with So that the water will just condense onto the tarps, and then it'll just kind of fill the room with, like, moist air. Right. And the water will flow down. Or the uh, condensation will flow down the sides of the tarps, soak into the soil. Right, yeah, that too, yeah. So first attempt, he blows himself up. Sets himself on fire. Yeah, sets himself on fire. It's a big explosion, um, which is pretty likely. Which, honestly, is... Probably what's going to happen almost 100% of the time you're doing something like this. We watched this movie in theaters and someone like four seats in front of me said, he's going to blow himself up. And then it happened. It's <laughs> yeah, pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> like, so he says some sort of kind of flimsy excuse like, oh, I didn't calculate the oxygen that I was adding to the room. By inhaling by and then ex- exhaling. Yeah, by breathing out. Small amount by breathing out small amounts of oxygen. Right. I don't really know if this holds up because he wasn't really... He wasn't, like, delivering a dose of oxygen. He was just in a room right. full of Right. Yeah. I mean, you'd think air. that the oxygen would be in equilibrium throughout the room that right. he's in, even while he's inhaling and exhaling. So, like, humans exhale oxygen to some extent because we take in a certain percentage of oxygen and some is not taken up by Correct. ourselves, so we exhale whatever's not taken up. Right. So, but, like, you're in equilibrium with the oxygen. Like, exactly. it's a closed system. Right. So, and the explosion that we see, I again, not the best chemist in the world, but the explosion that we would see would imply a rapid introduction of hydrogen rather than the oxygen based on an explosion of that magnitude. Right. Yes. Because he's not directly injecting oxygen into the system. It's just ambient oxygen that is interacting with burning hydrogen. Right. The limiting factor there is the hydrogen, not the oxygen. Right. It's like right. everywhere. So so anyways. We got we to say something funny. We just lost everyone who's listening to the podcast. Did we? Yep. <laughs> nice. There it is. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but so basically, really Matt Damon, yeah, you're welcome, guys. I really pulled us out. Yeah, appreciate it. Matt Damon does this again. He recalculates how much oxygen he needs or yep. something, and then he's able to get this working. Okay? Yep. So he's now got water, plants, poop, and soil. So he is able to reenact Stardew Valley using poop and potatoes <laughs> by using his imaginary plot fuel. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Yeah, and so that's working. So basically, they see. Matt Damon driving his rover around at this point. Because while he has been working on creating crops, uh, he has also been trying to figure out a way to get to the new uh, MAB, which has been positioned there for the next Ares mission 
uh, when the astronauts that had originally left come back to Mars. So simultaneously, in being a farmer, he has been scavenging parts from an older rover, trying to increase the battery life of the rover he has now, so that he can make it all the way across the surface of Mars in order to reach that MAB. Because he has been moving things around, the uh, NASA is able to uh, see him on satellite images moving objects, which they know couldn't have been done now that the crew is gone. Right. right. So that's how they first deduce that, oh my god, Matt Damon's still there. there. I guess there was one thing that you brought up, Kenan, that I wanted to briefly mention is the irradiation of space food. Yeah. Um, so Kenan proposed... Well, you just tell them, Kenan. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> so I found an article that was trying to debate whether or not uh, Matt Damon would have been able to actually use the potatoes that he brought with him. Uh, because for at least some of the food that astronauts bring with them on space mission, space missions, they actually use ionizing radiation to ensure that they remain non-perishable during transit. The best example of this is that uh, I think steaks now are the maybe the only meat that are actually still treated in this way. They cook them, they irradiate them with ionizing radiation after being sealed, and then they are shipped in that manner. So if the potatoes have been treated in this manner, then they would theoretically not have been able to sprout after the fact. However, I found a little bit more information on NASA's website that suggests that they don't treat things like potatoes. Uh, they simply clean them as much as they can, but then allow them to exist in whatever natural state that they have, so that they have gone. it depends on the, the food type. Right, and I think it depends on the length of the mission. So the mission to Mars that the Ares astronauts undertake is supposed to be, what, like 600 days yeah, or something? Yeah, something like 500 to 600 days. Right, some long period of time. So it's possible that they would have irradiated the potatoes that they took with them in order to preserve them for a longer period of time. Sure, but definitely not addressed and definitely not like a huge point that would make it infeasible because they really just, it's not like, Definitely, it doesn't definitely have to happen. Sure. It could be not irradiated. Yep, so. exactly. Mm -hmm. While we're on the subject, do you guys want to talk about the just sort of generalized way radiation is treated in the movie? Oh, yeah. so you mean by treated, you mean just like not addressed? Or? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, so one thing that uh, we brought up while watching this movie is that in the epilogue, uh, all of the astronauts involved in this uh, using current technologies should be dying of cancer. Uh, because the amount of solar radiation uh, and background radiation that they would have been exposed to on the trip to Mars and that Watney would have been exposed to just by walking around in a relatively unprotected hab uh, would be astronomical. It would be way more than what somebody experiences while in uh, Earth orbit in the ISS, for instance. Um, those astronauts are protected by what's known as the magnetosphere, uh, which largely serves to function, among other things, but serves to uh, protect the astronauts on the space station from the amount of radiation entering uh, Earth's orbit. So. For those who don't know, uh, UV radiation can basically damage the DNA inside your cells and increase your risk for cancer. Sure, like a lot, like a lot of sort of generalized radiation that yes. you might pick up. Yes. Right, and when you're getting really high levels of radiation that aren't blocked by any by the magnetosphere, because Mars does not have that, um, I mean, just being in a hab is not going to stop any of that radiation from hitting you. Right. So, especially, you know, even just the people traveling to and from Mars in space are going to be dealing with this radiation. It's not like it's going to get stopped just because you're in a metal ship. Like, it's flying through. Radiation's going through everything. Yes. Yeah, um, I, I mean, and these are these are particles mostly consisting of protons that are 
traveling at the speed of light throughout the solar system from other stars in the Milky Way. These are typically known as galactic cosmic rays, which is a great name. Um, some of these can be much heavier ele ele uh, elements, ranging up from helium to the heaviest metals. Um, and typically what would happen, at least during space travel, is that these particles can knock apart other atoms and the materials they strike, such as an astronaut in general, or the metal walls of a spacecraft. Um, this actually causes subatomic sub particles to release into whatever structure this is. This is known as secondary radiation, and this is what actually causes the damage to the individuals during space travel, travel or habitation. Mm. I, I think that what, whenever we think about Mars colonies, we always imagine these structures on the planet, you know, uh, that, that are housing these humans, these little these little colonies and bases. Big, like, glass domes yeah, exactly. that everyone lives in. When, yeah. And there could be some sort of technological advance that allows us to prevent that harmful radiation from reaching us on the surface of the planet. But it's also discussed that uh, a solution to solving this pretty bad problem would be just to have your primary structures built underground on Mars so that yeah. you wouldn't be exposed to this on a constant basis. Right? Which, for the most part, because you don't have massive geological shifts on the surface of Mars, Mars would be way cheaper than developing highly advanced radiation-proof buildings. At least initially. Right? Yeah, yes. I mean, you'd have to just be shipping giant space shuttles full of lead and plastic just like getting all the trying to hit all your bases right and that's and that's another point that could be made is that the folks who are actually traveling to mars aren't going to be able to travel in a lead-lined spaceship because that is way heavier than the standard build of a spaceship yeah exactly yeah so basically matt damon would be dealing with a lot of radiation and it's likely that it would cause some serious adverse health effects yep. um, but it's not addressed and you know, that's fine. Which really isn't a big deal for the movie. Yeah, I mean, for the movie, it's fine, but... Speaking of adverse health effects, hit me. Mm -hmm. What do you think would happen if Matt Damon went from living on Earth, where human beings have evolved under a constant gravity that has not changed, uh, to living on Mars for a little bit, uh, under 38% of normal levels of gravity? Well, he'd be like Mike. <laughs> what? What? He'd be like Mike. Yeah. He'd be dunking on Martians. Oh my god. Oh, I get it, because he would be taller. Yeah. I because thought you were his... No, he could jump higher pace. <laughs> okay, yes. You can, you Why can... would he be taller? No, that, that's were... the thing. Because uh, under the cases of lower gravity, your spine actually expands. It's been shown that some astronauts grow two inches after spending time. Matt Damon wouldn't grow to the size of Michael Jordan, though. I thought you were referencing the movie Like Mike. Oh, I was. But you were talking about Space Jam. Oh, also Space Jam. <laughs> so, because you said Dunking on Aliens, and I'm like, uh, I've seen the Like Monsters? Mike. Monsters? That is a double whammy. That yeah, I'm referencing did. both. Nice. Sure. This is good. Sure. All of your Michael Jordan movies. <laughs> um, yeah, Steel? so. Was he in that geez, one? I don't know. That's you kill on you. Because I am? <laughs> Shazam! Oh, Shazam. Whoops. Yes. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> Um, so, okay, so anyways, back to the actual science and what we're supposed to do <laughs> on this podcast. Hey, so you're asking us. I'm just asking you, how else did, what, what do you think could happen to your human body if you change gravity? How would the body fare under a Martian gravity? Mm -hmm. uh, I think you For as have, long a period as Matt Damon experiences it. Uh, I think you'd have a lot of bone problems to start. Yeah, I, I think that you would have uh, some, some version of space-induced osteoporosis where... Where your bones is because your your skeleton's kind of constantly you, you a lot of people think about your skeleton as a, a constant static thing like a you know a scaffolding for your flesh and 
organs and things. But in actuality, the your bone is constantly restructuring itself. Why do you think your your bones heal after you after you break a leg or something, right? Right. Um, and they respond to the needs of your body, which is obviously based upon the gravitational force or whatever surface you're on. And so over time, your bone would just break down because your body's like, wow, things are there's not a really a whole lot of weighing you down here, so it's gonna just it's going to adapt to that. And because of that, you're gonna have a lot of that bone component released into your bloodstream. Um, and one of the major components of bone is, of course, calcium. Um, and this would lead to kidney stones, which are a big problem oh. and super painful to piss out. Favorite, um, favorite thing in the world. Get nice, nice big old kidney stone. Um, I said that in a way too of a sensual manner. Um, <laughs> and Bates, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> Real velvety. But uh, I think no, I th- I think uh, it's also worth mentioning that you know. You, this wouldn't be just localized to your your periphery. It would affect your brain too, right. uh, because once all that your your blood level, blood, blood calcium levels uh, elevate, um, that blood's going to go into your brain. And neurons are super sensitive. Neurons being brain cells that do your thinking uh, are super sensitive to changing calcium levels. And mm, so that's you a good would point. you would have uh, it's 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 predicted that you would have uh, depression because. Obviously, the, the neurons of your reward center of your brain are no different, and they're going to be vulnerable to these changes in calcium. Uh, he'd probably have a lot of mental defects by just this simple thing. So we'd have a highly irradiated, osteoporotic Matt Damon walking around with muscle wasting who also has altered brain chemistry. Yes. Yeah, that would be pretty rough. Yeah. Uh, I would not like to live on Mars. And now, granted, like, these are all things that, to some degree or another, astronauts already have to deal with while being in uh, on the space station, during moon missions, that sort of thing. But the amount of time that they spend in those situations are drastically different than what these astronauts were spending in, uh, yeah. uh, in space or Mark Watney on Mars. Right, because when you can control the situation, you know, you just go back to Earth for a little bit. Hit the gym, GTL, and you're good to go. Yeah, dude, just lift, get space swole. No, you get earth swole, then you go back to space. Oh, you get yeah. space wasted. <laughs> space wasted? Yeah, you get space wasted. Jeez, I'm so space wasted. <laughs> well, we also saw that on the super fancy ship that the Ares group was flying around, they have the ever-present in space movies giant rotating containers that allow them to simulate some sort of gravity so that they can walk around and feel normal and exercise and all that sort of thing. Run on that treadmill. That get your, get treadmill. your miles in. Yep. Yep. Also, another thing about <laughs> the gravity I wanted to bring up is the entire time Matt Damon's on Mars, no, he should be, like, right. bouncing around like he's wearing moon shoes. No. <laughs> because he's a 38% gravity. Yep. And, like, the hab is just a tent full of oxygen. Like, they... There's no indication that there's artificial gravity or anything like that. Right. Yeah. And even when he's out on the planet, like, sure, his spacesuit is heavier, but right. when he's in the hab, he should literally, like, be able to just jump through the ceiling of that thing. And my yes. dude is just like, strolling around Mars like he's yeah. at the mall. Yeah. yeah. So. I actually, I think that's the one thing that I would have liked to have changed with this film, is, is that I want to see this, like, gate where it looks like they're just, like, manifested as some sort of crude game of hopscotch around Mars... And they're just bouncing around like like a bunch of guys in sumo suits, you know? You know, and it's something that we pointed out, or at least brought up at one point in the movie, because during a particularly sad scene when Mark Watney thinks he's going to die, they 
show him walking across Mars in what we later realized was slow motion. But we looked at it and said, oh, he's actually bouncing like he's supposed to be. No, he was no. just regular Matt Damon jumping and they shot it in slow motion. Yeah. They could have just shot him moving in slow motion the whole time. Yeah. yeah. I could understand from like a cinematic perspective. It would have like, been annoying to watch. It you would either have to use CGI or do slow motion, and it would just take like for a two long hours and twenty two minutes. It would have been but, an editing nightmare. So I get why they didn't do it, but from a scientific standpoint, like he, he's going to be wearing moon shoes. They're not or Mars shoes, you know. Like they're called, <laughs> he's going to be bouncing around. So That's at nice. this point, we've sort of covered pretty extensively some of the minor issues while Mark Watney is setting up his stronghold, so to speak on mars at this time we cut back to uh chuidal uh Ejiofor, i think i said his name correctly who plays vincent kapoor he's one of the guys who is trying to help pick up basically mark watney off of the surface of mars so they're trying to figure out when can they do this can they send him a resupply uh can they just wait and pick him up whenever the next Ares mission launches and they go back and forth about this for a fairly long time while Mark Watney is just trying to establish basic communication with the folks at NASA. So while they're doing all this, Mark Watney drives across the surface of Mars again after he's got his brand new new and upgraded rover, uh, realizes that he's going to freeze to death while he's on the inside of the rover while he's parked at night if he makes this long travel. Oh, yeah. So he goes and he digs up uh, what's known as a radioisotope thermal generator, which apparently is a thing that exists. Uh, they can be utilized as a heater, and this is basically just a giant container that contains plutonium, uh, and then also contains several, I guess, heating vanes that come out from the center of that, so that while the plutonium is on the inside and producing lots and lots and lots of heat, you're able to utilize that in order to heat a space. Uh, so he takes this thing and then pops it in the back seat of his car while he drives around so that he can stay nice and warm. Right, and it's shielded from the radiation but it produces thermal energy right in theory and in why theory. do you think he needed that in the first place how cold does it get on on mars again uh negative 243 degrees it's pretty cold it's at the poles right that's at the, at poles. the poles of the planet and you know only up to 60 degrees 68 degrees at the equator at noon right so it's it's uh it's not not it's not exactly a uh, a, jung- a, a jungle out there it gets a little chilly it's yeah. not a forgiving place to live. No. no. You don't want to be Which just hanging around at night. people should remember that whenever people are thinking about colonizing Mars. It won't really be that easy. It's still, it's super cold. Uh, where here on Earth, it's pretty comfy. So, you know, let's... Yeah, I mean, we can just dig underground here. <laughs> oh, yeah, that'll work really well. <laughs> we'll just be mole people. Yeah, let's just be mole people. So we had to look that thing up because, honestly, we didn't think it exists. But apparently it yeah, does. Yeah, apparently it does. I was amazed how you could just have a brick of plutonium that's not just going to be really bad for his health. But I guess they didn't... I mean, they addressed that radiation. But I mean, it's actually kind of cool because they, they, they apparently use these things all the time, or at least used to, uh, in order to heat areas, I guess, that are fairly isolated. So they're used as power sources and satellite space probes and that sort of thing. But the Soviet Union actually used to use them inside the Ar- Arctic Circle, where they had manned lighthouses um, mm. in order to keep them heated. So. Mm. That sounds awful. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> just sitting in a frigid wasteland with a giant brick of plutonium next yeah. to you, just like hope the shielding works. I mean, it's just it's, <laughs> it basically just functions functions as a generator. So right. he's just using it as a heater. And it's yeah. pretty smart. Speaking of the Russians, though, real quick, did you know that? Uh, I think it was announced at the end of last month, September, uh, that NASA and Roscosmos, the Russian space or- Russian space organization, 
have agreed to build the first moon orbiting space station. Oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, because the ISS is just getting outdated. And yeah, so that's really awesome. Uh, it's not, I don't think it's it's gonna be a long time until it's actually oper- operational. Rad, so right? it's a moon base. It it's not on it's the moon. Orbiting it, moon base. Or it's it orbits the moon. It's a moon base base. Sure. It, for for you, it's Sean, it's a moon base. Also, Ross Cosmos is my favorite character on Space Friends. <laughs> would you would you say it's fully operational yet? Or battle station. <laughs> Beautiful. Look at that giant moon. That's no moon. That's, that's our moon. That's a Russian moon base. <laughs> it's a Russian moon base. All right, so, and again, there's a lot of, like, plot development, a lot of him trying to communicate, him trying, or Matt Damon trying to, or sorry, Mission Space on Earth, trying to figure out, the, you know, how to get... They go by Houston. They go, okay, sure. Houston trying to figure out how to get Matt Damon, and a lot of the aerophysics, you know, we don't really... We don't have really a know. background We don't have all. a background for it. It all checks out with us, but we don't know Sounds anything good. about it. So I mean, those, those numbers look real long yeah. and complicated. Oh, uh, we checked the math; everything looks good. <laughs> Which people say a lot in this movie. Oh, we checked the numbers; they all look the numbers good. Check, the numbers check out. But as far as like where Matt Damon is concerned, he basically figures out a way to communicate yep. with um, the people on Earth by using the old Pathfinder. Using the old Pathfinder. That's right. Which was like, I guess a. It was a probe, probe sent to Mars. Yeah. yeah, I think it launched in '96. Yeah. Right. So it had a camera, and he set up an, uh, an alphabet using a code, and was able to like get them to turn the camera in order to spell out words. Yeah, he actually. So what he actually finds is an ASCII table um, on one of the laptops of one of the other people. Yeah. Um, which provides him with a way to convert a series of letters or a series of numbers into letters that they can then use as a, a, a language. Because utilizing all of the letters of the alphabet, he mentions, he wouldn't have been able to tell what the camera was actually pointing at if he tried to use right. 26 letters. So. Right. Um, so really, I guess the next phase, aside from all the developments of them trying to get to him, they try and send a probe of supplies yep. and the rocket, you know, it doesn't, the launch goes bad and it blows up. So they missed their window and they're like, we're not going to be able to get the supplies to him. He's running all on food. Matt Damon at this point is eating next to nothing. He's eating potatoes, but he's got like limited rations to get like actual nutrients. And you can tell they show he's like really wasting away up there. Like he's lost a lot of muscle. Potatoes and Vicodin. Yep. He's he's eating tiny blocks of, I guess, protein bars and then dipping his potatoes and Vicodin. Breakfast of champions. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I I never really imagined Viking as a as a condiment for my potatoes, but I'm I'm, say... I'm gonna go look for it at the at, at the at the Publix. Yep. Uh, to see if I can if I can pick some of that up. Uh, if you're having a bad day, you know, Mike Viking goes great with a potato. I guess potatoes I don't know. And I prefer steak fries, but I'll I'll try a potato. I mean, you can do steak oh. fries and Viking. I mean, yeah, it's like the same thing, right? Fries. You mean the the fry and Vike? Frykaden. Yeah, Frykaden. <laughs> yeah. So to progress the plot of this podcast of the movie, um, now the plan. For Matt Damon is they're trying to get him to the Ares 4 uh, landing site. Yes. Which is where the next Ares mission, which is the mission he was on, he's on Ares 3, I guess. The yep. next mission is Ares 4. Um, they were going to rendezvous at a certain site. It's like, what do you say, 3,200 kilometers across the surface of the planet? Yeah, he said it was going to take him 30 days. 50 days. 50 days. And he's got to get there on a rover that is battery powered and he has to recharge it like every half a day or something. Yeah, he charges it for the first part of whatever day that he's charging it, travels until until it runs out of battery at night, 
and then repeats that process. Right. So basically, he uses solar power. So this rover, you can charge the battery with uh, solar panels. So he charges it during the daytime, drives at night, uses his little thermal heater with him um, so that it doesn't drain the battery life. So he just got a big thing of plutonium in the back next to him. Nice. And he goes with um, through some extensive modifications on the rover where he puts basically part of the hab there and mm-hmm. is able to keep his like water scavenging and all that sort of thing. Yeah, he mentions that he has to cut a hole in the hab and then repressurize it after placing a tarp over the top of it so that that fills with air, providing him with extra space. And then he can put his uh, air purifier, water reclaimer, or whatever all the wonderful words that he used for. Yeah. Uh, but he has three things that he had to stuff in the top of that in order to actually make it for 50 days across the surface of Mars in his rover. It's right. a trek. Exactly. It's a trek. Yep. Um, and then he goes on that trip. And basically, there's a lot of plot that we can't really co- comment on the science on, but they send the initial team that left him. Uh, what is the name of the ship? The Hermes. The Hermes. Yeah. They basically covertly, or I guess they... <laughs> Well, so unintentionally send the Hermes back to go. So Donald Glover uh, plays an aerophysicist who comes up with this idea where the Hermes can slingshot around the orbit of Earth, picking up resupply for an additional 531 days, 530 days yes. in space. Uh, so the Hermes crew will pick up this resupply drop. They will head back to Mars and then again slingshot around Mars but at the same time, picking up Watney, who is going to get in the MAB that was intended for the Ares 4 mission, strip it of all of its heavy materials, stretch a tarp over the top, and then strap himself down, launch himself into space, and they're going to grab him on their way around Mars. And that's, I think it's at this point in the film where they really get into what could, could be considered the most speculative areas of the technology yeah. that they would need to do this, because this is still a problem that NASA deals with today is how getting to Mars is one thing launching off of Mars is, is something else. Right. Well, and the other thing too, is that while a slingshot remover, a maneuver around a celestial body is doable. I mean, there are other things like comets that technically do this all the time. Uh, there certainly would have been a little bit more debate about doing that around two planets. And then as you say, pick up a small moving object as it leaves Mars's surface. And yes. Earth. And Earth. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> they needed to refuel with a probe that China provided because Americans blew up their probe trying to launch it the first time. Right. So basically China was like, we have one you can use. We'll send the yeah. up to the spaceship or to the Hermes. So yeah, so this is the plan. So Matt Damon makes his trek all the way across Mars uh, to the Ares 4 la- launch site yep. or landing site or whatever. Uses the MAB takes apart a bunch of the stuff, puts a tarp on top, which I'm not, I don't know. I'm not a physicist. I guess, so their argument is that the aerodynamic properties to, yeah. are going to be Negative. less restrictive yeah. on Mars because the air is so thin. So yeah. as you get up to a certain, to the higher levels of the atmosphere, there's basically no particles up there. There's no air particles. So your resistance is limited, which, you know, sure, that sounds hand-wavy enough that I would believe it, but I right. don't work on this. But Well, the other thing they say is they mentioned that the nose cone alone is 400 kilograms or whatever it is, so it can't stay up there because otherwise it'll weigh him down and he won't be able to make the trip. Yeah. Right. They shed everything just to get him actually into the suitable part of the atmosphere so he can be rescued. They basically right. have a rocket with a seat and a seat belt. 
Yep. <laughs> and that is, and then Matt Damon. Yeah. Matt Damon experiencing 12 G's on his way out of Mars's upper atmosphere. Which he does pass out, which is good because he definitely should pass out. They're yeah. just oh, like, yeah. I mean, you're going to pass out. It's, <laughs> and it's mentioned a, cu- a couple of times in the articles you'll read about uh, the Martian that the human body doesn't withstand 12 G's without significant issues, including unconsciousness. Right. Because, like, what happens is all the blood rushes away from your brain. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, it's just not going it's, to... Your heart can't pump against that. One he mentions that when he comes to is that he's broken most of his ribs. Right. Yeah. Which is, you know, something's going to go wrong. Well, and the entire time that I've been... You think about the general stress the body goes through just from being on Mars in general. And then you think about the additional ordeals that Matt Damon goes through. I honestly think that it wouldn't have been shocking if... If he, he died. died doing a, a rel- what would have been considered a relatively simple task, uh, yeah. just because of the shape that his body is in, let, let alone this ordeal of him being launched into space. I mean, he spends 600, 500 plus days, whatever it was, on the surface of Mars, eating almost no food in a much lower impact gravity situation. So again, his muscle wasting problems just, with his bones. Yeah. And then right before they go and rescue him, he does a crap ton of heavy lifting and removes all the major components yeah. of the launch vehicle that they're supposed to they're supposed to uh, right. catch him out of. He also right. just gets carpet bombed with radiation the entire time. He's also <laughs> constantly exposed to cosmic radiation. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, so yes. he does this daring launch. They shoot him into space. The Hermes is flying in, and there's a lot of drama about their positioning. They're like, he's moving too fast We're for the course. intercept. We have to slow down. Or of course, we're gonna light off a bomb. That, yes, they <laughs> blow up part of the spaceship so that they can slow down. Yeah, which, I mean, like, liquid oxygen, that's going to burn. Yeah. Like, that's going to explode. No question there. So, I mean, their bomb, that would work. But they blow up a bomb, still are able to course correct and everything, and then they get to a point where they can see Matt Damon. He's, like, come to. He's broken a bunch of ribs. He's floating in the shuttle. Yep. And uh, what's her name? Jessica Chastin or Melissa Captain Melissa Lewis is out on a little cool floating chair that the, can... Uh, the space throne. The space, the space oh, throne. That's pretty good. I like that. And it's tethered to the Hermes, and she's trying to fly out to get him. And she basically runs out of rope and can't reach him, and she's like, we're too far away. Yeah, so, they're like a couple hundred meters away from one another. Right. So Matt Damon goes, I'm going to fly through the air like Iron Man. And <laughs> which he says. He, which he says. And he cuts a hole in the palm hand, of the palm suit. of his spacesuit. Yeah. And so when he does this, right, he's in zero, he's in space, there's no particles around him, right? Um, and he's going to just be blowing air out of his hand and using that to project himself towards the captain. Yep. Much like you would use minor course correcting uh, thrusters whenever actually piloting a spaceship or a satellite or that. Right. Or a space throne. Yeah, or space or throne. Or space throne. Yeah. Very <laughs> yeah. important. I actually would have liked to have seen him do it with both of his palms so he could kind of yeah, control his aerodynamics a I little more. I think I said, why the hell wouldn't he do his finger? Sure. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. He maybe, not, maybe wouldn't have moved as quickly, but he certainly would have had more control over it and wouldn't have run out of air as fast. True. Yeah. But then he wouldn't be Iron Man. So this part, uh, I think, is kind of BS, but, you we know. We can't really talk about it. I it's mean, just, it's like within 10 minutes of the movie ending, so like all stops are out after this, right? I mean, like navigating in zero gravity where like any movement along any force vector is going to push you. Like yeah. you have no gravity stabilizing you, you have no resistance of anything, 
and he's just waving his hand around. It's not like he has a uniform cut. He just used some, like, yeah. I don't know, a pair of pliers just, like, just made a little incision. So I, I think this is a little unrealistic, but it was very dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> so And, I mean, if we want to ha- hand wave just as much as uh, Matt Damon did, I mean, we could say that ah. he spends, like, maybe 10, 15 minutes actually doing this. So we could say that maybe he got the hang of it after a little bit because he does seem to stabilize out and then propel himself into Jessica Chastain. They are in like like they can see each other. You yeah, know, yeah, like yeah. they're like, oh, you're right there. I'm right here. I'm and gonna try and fly towards you. To pick him up. Yeah, and she can course correct. So it's it's not impossible. I just think it's very improbable. Yeah, sure. Like the whole movie. Um. Yeah. So then they get him. They're like, we did it, Matt. Climb aboard. Fly home. Welcome home. Your teeth look bad. Cut to like three years later. Matt's home and he's like. He pets a plant. You want to be an astronaut? Get ready to die in space. Yep. <laughs> so Essentially. And, and all the kids ask him a bunch of questions. And then... They, Ridley Scott! Credits roll. Yep. Boop, 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 boop. That's my credit. That's, That's pretty it. good. Wow, we actually covered everything. We, Not everything, we, but... We only we covered the science of subsections of the movie that we felt comfortable with. Yeah. Well, it's probably about, uh, about time that we get into ratings then. Let's rate this bad boy! <laughs> All right, so Sean, let's start with you, uh, Mr. Rap Siren. I would like you to rate this movie on a scale of one to five. Okay. Okay. Uh, as far as the science is concerned, you sound and then, really aggressive when you say one to five. I don't understand. What I'm to... sleepy. Oh, okay. Rate it on a scale of one to five as far as the science is concerned, and then after that, do the same thing, but tell me what you enjoyed it. Okay. For my science rating for the movie, I've been thinking about this a lot, and it's Difficult. So I, I think when we, our initial recordings, I came down a little hard on some of the movies because there's no way we're going to, there's going to be a perfect science movie right. because it's not entertaining. Yeah. So there's no way you're going to get a movie that's, everything is absolutely scientifically accurate and none of it's stretched beyond reason because it's not interesting. So for what this movie did, along with some minor things, I'm going to give them a four out of five. And I almost give him a 5 out of 5. Mm-hmm. The only reason I'm doing a 4 out of 5 is because I do think the solar radiation that's just not addressed is actually, like, a pretty big pitfall. Yeah. And also the lack of, like, Matt reacting in this artificial gravity environment. That is something he would be dealing with. These are things that would be daily effects on him, just being up in on Mars. Right. And they didn't really address. But that being said, they addressed a lot of things, and a lot of it was definitely feasible. So, you know, I'm giving it a 4 out of 5 for the science, um, and then as far as my enjoyment of the movie, I'm giving it a 5 out of 5. It was so good. I, I really like this movie. Yeah. Um, it's great when you can see, you know, there are parts that we're watching the movie, it has nothing to do with science, it's just Matt Damon, like, missing his family, telling people to, like, talk to his parents if he dies and stuff, and you're like, yeah, I'm pretty caught up in this, like, I care about this character, you know? And so. he's, he's so sassy. Yeah, yes. he really is. And and part of that is the writing of the original author, but holy crap, man, this he, is some good writing. He pulls it off really well in the film. He does. He yeah. falls into the role. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't think you need us to convince you that Matt Damon's a good actor. So, yeah. I mean, no, not at all. But yeah. So I give the movie a 5 out of 5 for entertainment value, and I give it a 4 out of 5 for its science. Kenan, how would you rate the movie? Uh, I mean, I am pretty much on the same front uh, as you are with this. I mean, I had a little bit of minor issues with sort of the way some of the science was treated in the movie. One of my big things, and I mentioned it earlier, was the fact that like there's this very large plot point that at some point the airlock into the hab that Matt Damon is currently inhabiting, inhabiting, inhabited about, 
a air hole forms on the outside of it. Uh, the airlock pops, flies away from the rest of the hab, and then all of the hab depressurizes. So all of his plants freeze, the soil freezes, it's instantly desiccated, that sort of thing. There's an argument to be said that the bacteria that he would have been using should have been able to survive, to a degree, that desiccation, and also uh, the freezing cold temperatures. The issue that I had is that in the movie they say, oh, the bacteria would have certainly died after being exposed to sub-zero temperatures. We freeze bacteria all the time. He could have rehydrated it to a certain degree and probably gotten it growing again. Right, yeah, the, I was actually a little confused. I'm sorry to dive away from the ratings, but I was wondering that, like, he grew the potatoes. Like, the potatoes that he grew, they should be able to grow more potatoes. I, I don't know, because I don't know to... I, it's because I don't know anything about potatoes. If you freeze-dry a potato, will it grow more potatoes? Well, no, I mean, the. well, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So maybe it wouldn't have worked. But... should ask my wife on this one my wife my wife <laughs> anyway so i thought they did a really good job with the science otherwise i really want to get this movie a five out of five so i'm gonna do it nice this movie gets a five out of five for science part of that is because i've also read the book and the book does a really 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 good job other than things that are obviously not scientifically accurate because otherwise it would exist as plot points does a very good job of covering all of its bases and actually backing up a lot of what Matt Damon in this case does on the surface of Mars with real math that checks out according to experts. So five out of five for the science. I'm also going to give it a five out of five for enjoyment because I really enjoyed this movie. Nailed it. It's a good movie. What about yeah. you, Pace? Uh, I'm, I only have to give this movie one rating because it's the same for both categories. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, and that's a five out of five, boys and girls. Whoa. And, and here's why. Here's why. In regards to the science, I do have my I do have my qualms. Um, the primary one, I would say, for me personally, this is is this, I I really would have liked to have seen them bouncing around on Mars. <laughs> yeah. Uh, again, just playing that playing that game of hopscotch. Every kid's um, dream. We got a space movie without people bouncing around in space. Yeah. How about that? And and I think the other thing I would have liked to have seen is just the. It would have been a problem because Matt Damon probably would have died, but I would have liked to have seen the more detrimental effects of being in that reduced gravity atmosphere. Um, that being said, I'm putting this movie on a relative scale compared to what we have watched and what I predict we'll watch. And I predict that The Martian is going to be one of the most scientifically accurate and just, a, it's, it's a juggernaut of a scientific film, yeah. in, my, in my opinion. And I think, and I, it, it's, it's blatantly obvious to me. So I, I, I feel obligated to give it, give it a five out of five because I don't think we'll watch a lot like it in the future. That is why I gave it a 5 out of 5, because I think it'll be likely the most scientifically accurate movie that we watch. I think based out of everything that we... Definitely what we've seen so far, this movie's like a 10 out of 5. Yeah. But, um... That's not how fractions work. Yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> that, that's still mean, a thing. It's, do you mean a, a 2? <laughs> 10 over 5, yeah. whatever. Oh, a but, yeah. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I almost gave it a 5 out of 5. The only, Really, the only reason I didn't is just because I don't know... We only know the next movie we're watching, Land Before Time 3, and yeah. I don't know what the other movies are going to be, so I'm trying to keep open just because there were some plot inconsistencies, but I suspect this is most likely a 5 out of 5. So. Still little footing. So. Is that Land Before Time well, 3 still little You know they made like 12 or something? I don't know. I think yeah. they made, probably not. Land like Before Time 4, the little footiest. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Land Before Time 5, 
the return of Top Dad. A little funnier. Kind of. Come on. Do you mean uh, Ducky little... the Duckiest of DuckTales? Dinos in space. Wait, wait, guys. Why don't we sign off? No, 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 wait. Land I do want to wanna point one more thing out here about the Martian that's actually pretty spectacular. Mm-hmm. I mentioned previously that I always thought that the higher the scientific rating, the lower the entertainment factor of the film was going to be a general thing. You mentioned that, you said. Yeah. And I think that The Martian breaks the mold here. They really... uh, because The Martian was one of the most entertaining films that I've probably ever seen. Because, I mean, I'm a nerd and I, I, love, I love them depicting science in this way. Uh, but I think that most people loved this movie that watched it. The layman, the, the common the common person, the critic, uh, most people love this film. It's a very good movie. And they, they nail it science-wise for the most part, and it's incredibly entertaining. So, uh, hats off to The Martian. Yeah, dude. Good job, Matt. Great job, Matt. And Kristen Wiig. And Mr. Scott. Great nah, job. fuck Kristen Wiig. Oh, God, face. <laughs> Such a hater. Holy crap. I don't get it. I just don't get it. Well, anyway, so uh, we haven't got any more correspondence uh, recently, but we have gotten a lot of help from our friend Lunchbox. That's Justin Waterfield. He's Lunchbox601 on Twitter. Um, we've gotten some retweets from Tori McCall. That's Skinny Dogs, but the O is a zero on Twitter. Um, yeah, we've gotten a little bit of traffic uh, as far as downloads go, so we're pretty excited about where this is going. Uh, you guys should feel free to reach out to us at realsciencecast at gmail.com. Or real science ca- at real science cast on Twitter, and we have an Instagram also. We also have an Instagram, which I keep forgetting to post photos to. So when I get it don't happen, I'm gonna upload like six photos of my dog. That's no one wants to see that. Not relevant. That's not true. She's super cute. She is cute, but also not relevant. So, Kenna, where can people find you? People can find me on Twitter, on Instagram, on Battle.net, on Zanga, on LiveJournal, on LinkedIn. <laughs> On WordPress, WordPress on Xbox Live. And what's your handle for all of this litany of websites that people can find you on? At LOL Kenan. Cool. LOL K-E-N-N-O-N. Pace, where can people find you? Nice. Uh, you can find me primarily on the Twitter, uh, where I will be most likely to interact with you if you attempt to reach out. Uh, and that is at Michael C. Pace. Um, again, where I do my best, my serious best, to actually tweet about content of substance, uh, but usually just ends up being about politics. So yep. uh, enjoy that and enjoy me. And if you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter at Cross and Grip. Um, but I'm most likely not going to be on there. So if you really want me, tweet at me and I will try and respond. Sean gets on every two weeks, and that's when we record our podcast. Yep. Uh, but otherwise, just email the show, tweet at the show. I live, like, next door to Kenan, so he can just tell me if someone's looking for me, and then I will get on and talk to you. Yeah, we have a little string between both of our houses that have cans on the other end, so <laughs> if he gets a tweet, I'll let him know. Can we actually set that up? Yeah, we can. <laughs> but yeah, and then I guess, just to wrap up, I want to thank everybody for downloading. I know we're all really happy that people have been listening. And, and surprised. Really yeah. surprised and happy, so... And I know this episode might not have been as funny, but hopefully you guys still enjoyed it because there was a lot of science to go over. There was. And just a reminder, it always helps to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Oh, absolutely. And we are on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher. Uh, we're on a couple of other minor podcast apps like Overcast and Podbean, that sort of thing. If you can go on any of those websites, if you like the podcast and leave us a five-star review... Uh, if you don't like the podcast, send us an email and tell us why, and we'll try and stop being so garbage. Yeah, don't review it, though. Yeah, don't <laughs> leave us a one-star review. We'll be sad. 
Uh, all right. Is that everything? I think so. Um, I guess I can tell you guys what movie we're going to watch next. Well, what is it, Hannah? What movie we're going to watch next? We're back. Do you just Google an obscure movie? Yeah, you do. No. Yes, that's what we you did. We just did a movie about dinosaurs. Kevin. I Googled awful movies and the first one was Black Gestapo and I didn't want to say that on the radio. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna watch Lethal Weapon 7 next time. Land before time 14. My name's Kenan Smith. My name's Sean Crossan. I'm Michael Pace. And remember guys, you don't need good science to make a good movie. That's right. Let's take classy. <laughs> I can't do it when you're looking at me. I'll look away. Don't look away. <laughs> Tangerine. <laughs> so my name's Michael Caine. The thing is, when you do a Michael Caine impression, it's always it's so hard. My to, name's Michael Caine. It's so hard Kain. to not say my name is Michael Caine. That's, like, <laughs> That's how you get in the camera. Because the thing is, the impression is never that good. It's never good <laughs> to tell them I'm impersonating Michael Caine right now. <laughs> Which, it's, it's not great because it's not a good basis for material because Michael Caine never even says his name. <laughs> no, I you know. Michael Caine never walks to a talk true. show and goes, Hello, everyone. My name's Michael Caine. <laughs> well, you that was us. clearly Steve Irwin just now that you spoke as. <laughs> that was oh not Steve Irwin either. That, did, that sounded, it sounded a lot more, more Australian, Australian than Cockney. Hey, where's it going? I'm Michael Caine. <laughs> oh, God. Danger <laughs>